0: If you met him, you'd love him. Many said that he was the most generous, one of the most kind, one of the most uplifting people that you could ever meet. They said if you'd had a conversation with him one time, you would have wanted to be his friend. Amazing, talented. Hilarious. And after a very good, very positive, very uplifting conversation, when you'd walk away from this individual, you would have had absolutely no idea that the biggest task he had for that day was to get himself out of bed Because he didn't want to and he didn't feel up to it. And you wouldn't know by being with him that he gave every bit of energy to those around him to entertain them and to make them laugh. And on the outside, he looked all put together, he was always smiling. But on the inside, it was dark, it was hopeless. He was empty. He was afraid. Robin Williams died of depression. Depression does not discriminate. It shows up without mercy. Depression doesn't care how wonderful your life is. How many people follow you? How many people admire you? It doesn't matter. Robin Williams seemed to have it all. He was adored by fans, he was loved by family and millions and millions of others that watched him entertain. But it didn't matter. His life was so dark that he made the decision to take his own life on August the 11th, 2014. Now, to someone that doesn't really understand depression, you might have been dismissive if he had ever said, like, hey, I'm really struggling because you and I are fixers, right? We'd have been like, no way, dude. Like, are you kidding you are great. You're hilarious. You're tremendously talented. Like you're you're rich. You've got everything money could buy. And you know what he'd want us to know? That that depression isn't just about sadness. It's not just being discouraged. It's not about just having a bad day. It's not about just being down. <laughs> It's about being depressed. It's about darkness. It's about not having any feelings really at all. You're just kind of numb. There's no motivation. There's no hope. And what's really sad is the church should be a safe place to talk about real feelings. And about darkness. And about depression. And yet... In many church circles, it's often not the case. Sometimes in faith communities, right, we tend to wrestle with this. There's a stigma to all mental health. There's a stigma to depression. And someone that feels that hopeless thats we even have a hard time dealing with, right? And the person dealing with it, if they're in a Christian community, might even feel like they're doing something wrong. Like I shouldn't be struggling. You know why? Because they've heard people say like, well, hey, you just give your heart to Jesus and everything's okay. Like fake it till you make it. Right? You ever heard that? <laughs> just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You'll be okay. Just put a smile on your face. But often the depressed person doesn't feel safe. None of those seem to work. And so they withdraw even more. And their depression gets compoundly worse. Depression is real. And if you're one of the many, many, many people that struggle with it today, you know the pain. If you're one of those many that are struggling with it, I want you to know it's one of our biggest mental health problems in our society today. I'm going to share a verse with you today that let me just tell you about it. When I read it to you, there's part of it you're going to be agreeing with. Especially if you're struggling with depression. But the second part of it, you might actually get a little ticked off about. You might be like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. If you have your note sheet, you can take them out. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. By the way, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Most of us will identify with the first part. It says anxiety in the heart of man. That's mankind, ladies. It's you too. Anxiety in the heart of mankind causes depression, to which most of us would say, well, duh. Anxiety, worry, stress, those things cause depression. And then the verse goes on to say, but a good word makes it glad. Everybody say good word. word. A good word makes it glad? To which you're probably like me saying it's not that simple like I wish it were. I have no doubt anxiety brings a man down. Depression brings a man down. Stress brings a man down. But a good word makes it glad. Really? We're not talking about just any old word. We're talking about the inspired word of God. The writer of Proverbs says there's power In the word of God. Now I wish it was so simple. And it was just like I could tell you a word for you. And you're like cured. But God's word brings hope. And if all that seems a little simplistic to you today. It's my prayer that somehow today by the power of God's word. Not by mine. That a good word might just bring you today. Or someone watching today. A little bit of hope. That God's Word might bring someone today a little bit of healing. Would you pray with me, God? I just pray today that God, a good Word that comes from Your Word today could bring some healing. Could bring someone a glimpse of light in their darkness. And God, we rely on You because you're God more not. And we give you the praise in your name. Everybody said, Amen. Well, I hope today is not gonna be a depressing message for you. But it's a very, very complex issue. All of mental health is, and I've been very consistent in this series that we're in called Mind My Own Business, as we're taking a look at our mental health. That I'm not a professional. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I'm not even a professional counselor, I'm a pastor, and so I'm landing on the side of spiritual direction, right? We've said from the get-go, we're going to look at this from a holistic approach, not holistic as in medicine, but a total whole approach, right? Some of you, listen, you might walk out of here greatly inspired with a word of hope, of healing. For others of you, you may need professional help. There's not one size fit all. (laughs) according to experts, there are essentially four causes of depression. If you want to know like what causes depression, there's essentially four that the experts would say, four different categories that cause depression. Number one, if you're taking notes, is what they say is a biological cause. One of the issues, one of the things that causes depression, it's biological. You may have done nothing wrong in your life. I mean, it's nothing that you really did, but there's some chemical imbalance in your brain, in your body that's causing you to feel a certain way. You may have chronic pain. I told you about my shoulder. I had nerve pain for about eight weeks that was just debilitating. I couldn't, only I could lay in one position, that was it. So I basically stayed in bed for the first three or four weeks. It was crazy, never had that kind of pain in my life. I could see where chronic pain could drive somebody to the point of being too super depressed. Like what do I do? That that's biological, right? You you might have had a baby, right? Postpartum is a real deal. Your your emo, right everything gets haywire inside of your body because of this baby being born, right? So you you've got these hormones that are running rampant and it really is a biological thing. It's not, you know, we're us men are like, come on, come on. There's a reason why men didn't have kids. God knew if we did, we'd either have homes of zero kids or one. We'd have been done. I'm just, just saying. Maybe you're not sleeping enough. You're like, yeah, I am because I'm stressed out and I got anxious and I'm depressed. Okay, I get it. But that leads, that's one of the causes of depression. If you're taking notes, there's another cause and they would say that's relational. It's a relational cause. In other words, you might have a really, really big problem with one of your kids, with one of your parents. You might have a relational problem at work. You got these things going on, right? This pressure that's weighing on you. Maybe you're in a marriage that's falling apart and you're trying to hold it all together. You're trying to keep people, you're trying to keep it seem like it's all together and it's not. Listen, that's real. That's circumstantial. Maybe it's because you came out of a global pandemic where you've been in isolation for two years, and God never expected us to live in isolation. No wonder you're feeling dark. Not only is there biological and relational, there's also circumstantial reasons why you get depressed. It's just the circumstances. You've been given some bad news. Somebody you love has been given some bad news. Financially, you're living in very stressful times. You filed for bankruptcy. You're worried about losing your home. You've been so excited for years looking and getting closer to retirement, and then you get finally retired, and you're looking at yourself, and you're like, now what do I do with my life? I talked to a family not too long ago, and they were pretty upset because they were getting ready to be empty nesters, and they could already tell, like, ooh, what's this going to be like? And I said, well, let me just tell you. When our oldest, when Keisha left home, I remember dropping her off at college for the first time, and driving home, and my wife and I both bawled like babies, And then by the time Jeremy you know three years later it's time for him to leave I'm just looking at my watch like hey dude when you leaving <laughs> I'm kidding wasn't that it wasn't quite like that don't don't tell him if you run into him <laughs> but seriously my wife and I by then it was kind of like okay the reason we had had date days for 30 something years of our 40-year marriage right The reason that we've built some things around our relationship is because we saw so many people that got to that point where their kids left home and all of a sudden they don't even know each other because their home has been kid-centric. And then all of a sudden the kids are gone and they don't even hardly know each other, much less like each other. That can be depressing, right? You've been waiting for this finish line of work. We can do anything we want. Then people are like, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know who you are. Where's my purpose? People can get depressed. That's circumstantial. And the last category is spiritual. There can be a spiritual cause of depression like... You understand if you know God's Word that the Bible says we as believers don't wrestle against other believers or against other people, but we, we, we don't even battle against flesh and blood, but against darkness. we got an enemy that wants to do nothing but to kill and destroy everything that matters to God, and there's nothing that means more to God than you and me, which means He wants to destroy us. I want to look at... Um, a guy that struggled with depression in God's Word. He was a real man, just like Robin Williams was a real man. And he was not just a real man, he was, but he was also a prophet, which means he spoke on behalf of God, like God would speak to him and he would speak to other people. He would told, told them what God said to, for him to say, and yet this man of God who loved God, who had a great commitment to God, was depressed. He struggled. And we're going to look at this prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3 today. And I want to give you a little bit of context as we begin to roll in this. If you remember Solomon's temple, if you've ever read about that in the Old Testament, which was the greatest, probably one of the greatest tributes to God in the history of mankind. It was over 400 years old before it was actually tragically destroyed by the Babylonians in about 587 BC. This tremendous man made structure for God was destroyed. Well, Jeremiah saw the destruction. This amazing monument. This amazing structure built to honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords was destroyed. Not only was the building destroyed, but Jeremiah would have watched loved ones, family, friends, neighbors die in that midst. And God's house was completely destroyed. He saw it and was greatly depressed. I thought about that this week, and I thought the the closest thing probably that makes me be able to somewhat relate to what that would have been like was 9-11. Most of you are old enough to remember 9-11. Most people, if they were alive, can tell you where they were when they first saw it and how they saw it on the news. What sounded like at first, it was a wayward airplane that tragically crashed into one of the towers Later, we find out as it unfolds, but you could see the smoke gaining and gaining. You could see the fire. You saw people scattering. You saw people coming out of buildings all battered. You saw people laying on the sidewalks and on the streets. You saw ambulances. You saw firemen. You saw policemen. Later, depending on what coverage you saw, you saw people literally diving out of high, high windows to their certain death rather than burn up in flames. Since then, you could hear phone calls. A last phone call from someone in an office building to their wife or to their kids. Jeremiah saw all that firsthand. That's something you can't get out of your mind. And he was depressed. And just like some of you, if truth were known... Jeremiah didn't know where to turn next. He didn't know what to do. And then he writes for us in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, something that I believe that some of you, if the truth were known, you could say, wow, I can relate to that with all of that context, listen what Jeremiah writes. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. It's an interesting perspective, isn't it? He has driven me away and made me, this is what he says, walk in darkness rather than light. Verse 5, he's besieged me and surrounded me with the bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's wailed me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Does he really or do we just feel that way? Verse 17, I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from, from the Lord. Listen to this dark cry. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my, get this, my soul is downcast within me. I will remember them well. And my soul is downcast within me. This prophet, this representative of God, this man of God is deeply depressed. He's in a season where nothing makes sense. He doesn't know which way to go, what to do next. He is broken on the inside. It's dark. It's painful. And from this I want to show you two things to remember when you're battling depression. The first thing that I want to try to help you understand right now is that your emotions are actually valid. Do you get that? Your emotions that you're experiencing when you're depressed, they're actually valid. Now, I know that you've probably heard somebody say that you shouldn't pay any attention to your feelings. That's an, in, that's an incorrect statement. I want you to understand that your emotions are valid. What you feel, you feel. <laughs> and your situation that you're in that seems dark to you, your situation feels hopeless. I know that if you're depressed. Because that's what depression does. It did it to Jeremiah. You feel like you're hopeless. You're you're depressed right now. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do next. You don't want to do anything. You're just numb. And that seems hopeless. Your feelings are valid. But they're incomplete. What you feel is what you feel, but that's incomplete. And what I want to do is I want you to see something a little different today. (laughs) Because you can get stuck on what's true. Your feelings are valid. That's true. But you can get stuck on true and not realize it's incomplete. So if you're taking notes, fill this in. Your feelings are valid, but they're not permanent. Do you get that? Your feelings are true. What you feel is what you feel, but your feelings are not permanent. And the second thing that I told you, which is also true, is that your situation seems hopeless. It feels hopeless, but with God, there's always hope. Do you get that? With God, there is always hope. Even if you don't see it, even if you don't know what it is, there's always hope With God, there's always hope. And so I want to unpack these truths a little bit and dive deeper into them and hopefully that God will connect to you a good word that could provide you some hope, some light, a little bit of healing in your depression. But again, we're taking a holistic approach. Some of you may need more than that. I want to tell you that those feelings, that the emotions that you have, they're valid. They're valid. They're real. They are. They're actually important. Part of your healing. God made us emotional beings. He made us people with feelings for a reason. And an expert would say this to you. That to heal, to begin healing, you actually... Start by acknowledging your emotions, your feelings. What you and I literally need to do is to realize that our feelings, our emotions are valid, but we need to take another step and we actually need to name them. Not like Pete or Bob, that's not what I'm saying. You need to be real and give names to those feelings that you have. Like, you know what, what is it that you really, how many of you know what it's like to be angry? How many know some people that get angry and you can't, you're like, oh, can I tell you that anger, anger is only a result of three other things. When you see anger, it's either fear, hurt, or frustration that's going on. That's the emotion. It just comes out as anger. People are like, I don't even know why I'm angry. Well, I can tell you why you're angry. You're either fearful, right? You're hurt or you're frustrated. You're frustrated. So name what's really going on. You say, okay, I got it. I'm really frustrated. I'm really hurting right now. Name what you feel. You might say, "I, I do feel hurt. I'm ticked off by the world. I'm scared with what's going on in the workplace and the economy. I'm scared for our finances. You've got to name your feelings, which is the beginning to getting some healing. Speaking of being afraid how many of you, one of your greatest fears is spiders? Anybody? We put one under your seat. No, we didn't today. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) That'd have been cool, wouldn't it? Some of you are like, I'm out of here. Well, let me tell you what they did. They did a study of people that are afraid of spiders. (laughs) And they brought groups of people in and they separated them into four groups and they gave them an assignment. When they walked into this room, there was a tarantula, not just a little household spider, a big hairy tarantula in an aquarium, right in one of those glass cages in the middle of the room. And people like wanted to stick right up against the wall because all these people are afraid of spiders. They divided them into four groups and they gave each one of the groups a different assignment. Here's how it went down. The first group, they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go away from this room when we let you out and we want you to write down your feelings take a pencil a paper and write down what did you feel what did you feel <laughs> like i was afraid <laughs> i'm scared to death whatever the second group of people they said we don't want you to write down anything what we want you to do is just make an observation make observations what do you mean just make observations Okay, there's a tarantula in an aquarium. That's an observation. That tarantula is big. That's an observation. Just do that. The third group of people. <laughs> they said just say something irrelevant about the spider in the aquarium. Say something irrelevant like it's Tuesday. It's raining outside. Something irrelevant to the spider in the aquarium and the force group of people they said don't say anything at all Just don't say anything A week later they brought all those people back together They brought them into the same room But this time there was no tarantula in an aquarium the tarantula was in the middle of the floor crawling around <laughs> Yeah, see you like this this is cool <laughs> And they wanted to see what would happen to them internally, <laughs> right? Physiologically, they wanted to see how would these four groups of people react to this spider that's no longer in an aquarium after a week of going through these exercises. And you know what they found? They found that the first group of people that they asked to actually jot down what they felt when they saw the spider in the aquarium that those people remarkably responded better than the other three groups of people a week later and the spider wasn't even in a cage matter of fact they said some of those they came even closer some of them actually were even willing to touch the tarantula remember they were all scared of tarantulas. The only thing had changed was their marking and labeling and giving their fears a name. Wow. How cool is that? The power of naming your emotions and you're getting healing, you're getting some light, you're gaining some hope is remarkable. It's the door. Naming your feelings opens the door to changing your emotions. Do you get that? Naming your emotions, naming those feelings opens the door to changing them. I'm just mad. What are you mad about? I don't know. Hurt? Frustration? Right? What is it? Name it. Your emotions are valid. Name them it's you're not spiritual you're not more spiritually than i am if you say well they're just i just i that's not me i'm fine god gave you emotions don't act like they're not there name them own them but remember they're not permanent and because our emotions are temporary because they're not permanent and this is very very important fill this in, we're not going to make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. If emotions are real, they're valid, yes, but they're not permanent. So if they're not permanent, then I'm not going to make permanent decisions based on my temporary emotions. Do you follow me? So when you're feeling down, I'm not going to make a permanent decision based on my temporary emotion. When I'm scared, I'm not going to make a permanent decision based on the temporary fact that I'm afraid. I'm also not going to come to permanent conclusions with a temporary feeling. You say, well, who would do that? A lot of people do that. I'll never get married again. All men are. Fill in the blank. <laughs> all women are. Do you see how we lump it all together? We're, try, we're making a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. I've been hurt. I've been hurt. I've been hurt. You know what? Maybe what you need to look in is what is it about you that attracts these same type of people? Well, it's not about me. What if it was? I'm not saying it's all your fault. I'm saying we got to learn what's going on. Name the emotions when you feel afraid and you feel threatened and you feel like quitting on your marriage because I, I'm tired of this. Don't make a permanent decision based on a temporary mo- Well, it's been going on for years. What help have you gotten? What if it could be fixed? In the darkest times, you might feel like your life is not worth it. And your spiritual enemy that has a desire to seek and to kill and to destroy everything that matters to God might whisper in your ear that everyone would be better off if you just weren't here anymore. And in the moment, you might feel like that's true. But I want you to hear something and know something. And I pray you never, ever, ever, ever forget it. If that enemy or yourself whispers in your ear, they may be better off if I was no longer here. That is never, ever, 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 ever the case under any circumstance. That's never going to be true because God knew you and he knew what he was doing when he made you and when he brought you into this world. The world will never be better off without you. We're emotionally made up because God created us that way, but we're not going to be ruled by our emotions. We're going to name them. We're not making permanent decisions because of them. We're going to say my emotions, my feelings are valid, but I'm not going to be controlled by them because they're not permanent. The second thing that I want to dive deeper into is that your situation that may feel hopeless, you may, but with God, there's always hope. Don't ever forget that. With God, there's always hope. His own disciples, when they saw him brutally beaten and killed on a cross and buried in a borrowed tomb, even though he tried to give them a little hint that he was coming back, they saw him die. They they felt hopeless. Their world was dark, but three days later, How long do you think those three days felt to them? (laughs) An eternity. There's always hope with God. If God can bring somebody dead back after three days, he can certainly solve what's going on in your life or mine. In fact, I want to show you in the text today, Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 20. Remember what Jeremiah said in verse 20? He said, my soul is downcast. Remember that? And then look what he says here. Verse 21, he turns to God and he says, yet, my soul is downcast. And then it clicks, yet, this I call to mind. I feel hopeless. I feel depressed. I, I'm walking in darkness. I, there, I see no reason for hope. Yet, I call this to my mind. The power of our mind, the power of our thoughts. And because I call this to mind, therefore, I have hope. Hope. Even in his darkest dark, he knew enough of God's word to say, Wait, with God, listen, I feel like everything's hopeless with a God, there's always hope. And I call it to my mind, yeah, my soul is downcast. Don't you know when people are depressed, you can almost see it in their body language sometimes? Their shoulders kind of droop, their head's kind of low. If, they're, if, you, if they perk up for a minute, their shoulders get more upright, they're more upright, their voice can change. I call this to mind. I he kind of perked up. The word in the Hebrew text is a plural form of the word hesed. Hesed. Now it's interesting. In the Hebrew, we try to give American definitions to a language that was way more complex and way more descriptive than the American language or the English language is. And so they try to do things that way, and it just doesn't do it justice. You kind of have to take these thoughts. It literally means on your note sheet, unbreakable devotion to God's promises. It's a covenantal commitment to God's character. Because of his love, we're not consumed. Because of his love, there is hope. And, and, the, and his compassions never fail. His compassions, his love for you, his unconditional love never, ever fails. You may feel he's forgotten you. He's not forgotten you. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The Hebrew word there is the rahamah which is a root word which get this I, I there's a whole message on this i can't do today the same root word which literally means a mother's womb think about this what what is what god designed a womb to be it was designed by god to be a safe place the ultimate safe place Sadly, that's not always the case, is it? In the womb is where life is nourished. It's where God says in his own word that it's there that he knits you together in your mother's womb. You're nourished, you're strengthened, you grow, you develop, and you're protected. And it's in the womb where your compassions never fail. God's grace, it's new every morning. His compassion's new every day. His presence is new every morning. Why does the sun come up and go down every single day? Because God wants us to be reminded that He's with us every day. His grace, His mercy, His unconditional love, every single day. He gives us daily compassion. And He wants us to know there's always hope. So what do you do when your whole world feels dark? You call it what it is. I feel depressed. I feel hopeless. I'm anxious. I'm angry. God, I need help. We've designed this place to be a safe place for you to get help. For you to admit that I need help. And again, asking for help, I've said this consistently, is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom and strength. So how do you get help? Well, you might need to go see a counselor, a good counselor. A counselor that uses God's word as a basis for what they do. That's wise. That's not unspiritual. Oh, I just feel like I'm such a low-life Christian. No, you're human. Get help. You might need to go to a doctor. You might need a change in your diet. What you're putting into your body. You might need some work with your hormones that are going rampant. There's hope for that. You need some people around you. Join a small group. We'll help you start a small group. Get some people around you. You were never intended to do life alone. If you take a page out of last week, if you missed it, you might need to pray and pause and praise. It's dark, it's deep where I am, but I call this to mind. I call this to mind. And I believe Jeremiah raised his hands up towards heaven. Do you know that's a sign of surrender? We've all seen it on the movies. Somebody sticks a gun in your back. That means I surrender. You know what this also means? Victory. We won. We won. When you surrender to God, that's the beginning of victory in your life. Look at verse 24 through 26. I say to myself, sometimes you got to preach to yourself. Did you know that? The good stuff. God's word, not the lies, the good stuff. He's preaching to himself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. He says to himself, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. He's preaching to himself, the Lord is good to those who seek him. He's preaching to himself. Why soul, why be so downcast? My soul is downcast, yet I call this to mind. And he starts to preach to himself. I have to preach to myself. I don't just preach to you, I preach to myself. God, you are my shield. You are my glory. You're my refuge and my strength. You're my ever-present help in time of trouble. You're my good shepherd and I shall not want. Sometimes you got to preach to yourself. Sometimes you have to say, why am I so down? Sometimes you have to understand my feelings are valid, but they're not permanent. So I'm not making any permanent decision based on these temporary feelings. I'm going to get some help. I feel like my world's dark. There's no hope. But with God, here's the truth. There's always hope. I'm going to rely on that hope. I'm going to focus on that hope. I'm going to open up the book of hope. I'm going to read this. I'm going to digest it. I'm going to meditate on it. Because if you can worry, which we'll talk about next week, if you have time to worry, you have time to pray. If you have time to worry, you have a time to go to a place of hope. And the Bible says, for I am convinced That nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future. Nothing. Not my depression. Not my dark days. Nothing at all creation is able to separate me from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Your situation seems hopeless, but there's hope. Your feelings are valid, but they're not permanent. Don't make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings. Maybe a good word from God is what you need. Start your day by opening up his word. But get the help you need. Go to the source of help. You might need a good word to get through today. You might need his good word to get through an hour. You might need a good word to get through the next minute. Name your emotions. They're valid. They're not permanent. Your situation may seem hopeless. But with God, there's always hope. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I just pray today for a good word for your hope that God that through your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword, that has power that none of us have, I pray God that you would do what only you could do. If you're here today, can I just tell you this? There's no way a 20-minute, 30-minute message is going to solve everything for everybody. There's no way. But I hope that you've heard a good word that brings you hope that brings you a beam of light. But for some of you here today, your greatest need is Jesus. You may be at the point that you're at so that you could look only one place and that's up and surrender because life your way is not working. Jesus says, give your heart to him. He gives you a brand new life. He forgives you of everything you've ever done wrong. He places his spirit inside of you. He adopts you into his family, never to be unadopted. If anybody's ever told you, have you ever felt worthless, hopeless, that you're worth nothing, that no one would want you? Can I tell you, Jesus wants you. God wanted you so badly, he sent his son to die in your place so you wouldn't have to for what you did wrong because Jesus never did anything wrong. If that's where you're at today, whether you're home, whether you're in this room, If you'll provide the sinner that you are, God will provide the Savior. His name is Jesus, who is perfect, who will give you credit for His perfection. If you will own your sins, turn from them, and turn to Him as your greatest hope. That you make this your prayer, say, God, I don't understand it all. But I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm struggling. I believe there's no hope outside of you. And so I turn from my way of doing things and I turn to you as my source of hope. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart. I receive you as Savior and Lord from this day forward. I want to learn to love you like you love me. And I want to use the rest of my life. What time, talents, and resources you give me to point other people to you. And I say thanks and I give you the praise in the name that's above all names, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.